0: Welcome to the first ever episode of The Race Reporters, presented by Drag Illustrated. I just threw that Drag Illustrated name drop in there for fun, but this is the latest little idea that we've had collectively. There's a, there's a ton. One of the things that we've had as we've dived into this whole podcast thing is that there are so many offline conversations that we have at the racetrack, here at the Drag Illustrated offices, and in airports, and hotel lobbies, and everywhere else that I, I've looked back and I go, man... I wish this debate, I wish this conversation was recorded. I wish people could have heard that. And now, we're prepared to do that. So I'm going to introduce myself, of course, Wes Buck, uh, founder and editorial director of Drag Illustrated Magazine, promoter of the World Series of Pro Mod, and probably one of the biggest fans of drag racing on the planet Earth, and two of my closest associates, Nate Van Wagnon, editor-in-chief, Drag Illustrated Magazine, been a part of this team for a long, long time, and senior editor at Drag Illustrated as well. Josh Hatchett, welcome, guys. What's going on?
1: Hey, Wes. Uh, glad to be here. I do, uh, like you said, finally have this conversation in a uh, podcast form. Yeah, same here, Wes. Uh, it's awesome to be, there, uh, be here and, and see where this goes. Uh, obviously, you're doing great things, so it's exciting to, to branch this out and See what else we can do with this podcast world.
0: We talk about stuff all the time and it's it, it, we, we dive into these things and like I said I've often thought, man, if people heard this, a they'd probably think we're crazy, but b I think sometimes these conversations are what our sport lacks because if you look at the NFL or MLB or the NBA or really even NASCAR and so many other motorsports and stick and ball sports, this this 24/7 news cycle that exists it, it's done its fair share of bad, I suppose. You know, there, oftentimes there are things that, you know, the beating a dead horse or talking about stuff just add nausea. But I do think that those talking head shows and things like that, they do a lot for those sports. They keep people engaged. They keep the conversation going. And something that I see happen in drag racing is that Friday comes, everybody's excited. Saturday, we're all at the racetrack. And even Sunday, whatever, everybody's talking about the races. But Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, everybody goes back to their there are normal lives and we kind of lose track. Nobody's talking about it. Nobody's keeping the pot stirred up. And I think that's why promoters like the Donald Long, Donald the Duck Long, his constant stirring the pot, I mean, it's paid off for that guy. And I think the sport of drag racing could benefit from some people stirring the pot 24-7. So that's what we're going to do here on the first episode of The Race Reporters. We're going to dive into a handful of topics every week, probably take... Every once in a while, a really deep dive on things, but I think that for this first episode, I want to kind of paint a wide swath, cover as many topics as we can. I think we headed into this episode with four things that we were going to talk about, and as a a big part of our following is very door slammer-centric, right? A lot of the people that subscribe to Drag Illustrated Magazine, watch our shows, and and pay attention to the content we create, they're door slammer-centric, so I think it's only fair that we kick this thing off, this first-ever episode of The Race Reporters, with a deep dive into the PDRA, Professional Drag Racers Association, big part of what we do here at Drag Illustrated. Nate, you you have attended every uh, PDRA national event for many moons now, and one of the things that I've been kind of harping on, and I wanted to get your guys' opinion and kind of discuss, is Pro Nitrous, Pro Boost, the two top headlining categories for the PDRA. One of the things I've often thought about, especially as we've kind of seen these other classes of drag racing seemingly have all this excitement about them, whether it's the NHRA pro mod division or radio versus the world down at Donald Long's events, this element of having all these different types of cars and all these different power adders, nitrous turbos, blowers and everything in between that adds a little something to things. It could be argued that separating the categories creates a super high level competitive atmosphere that, that, kind of is reminiscent of NHRA Pro Stock, right? Everybody's kind of got similar tools. They've got like equipment and who can do the most with it. But I would argue that the PDRA could possibly benefit from combining those two categories. So I'd kind of like to throw that question out. Nate, where do you stand on the potential of combining PDRA Pro Boost and Pro Nitrous? Is this something that you would like to see or are you absolutely against it?
1: Uh, I don't know that I would say absolutely against it, but i I would definitely uh, vote against uh, combining the two classes. Um, I think I think keeping the two classes separate has has been a, uh, a large part of the the two classes success. you know uh, Pro Nitrous had eighteen cars at the season opener then a lot a few weeks ago whereas uh, you look at NHRA pro mod where where all the cars run together and and they're only uh, I think there are only three nitrous cars right now, so um, I think keeping the two separate and giving the nitrous cars somewhere to go go race where they they know they're not going to have to worry about parity or or fighting for rule changes for or against uh, other combinations. Um, I think that it's a big thing.
0: Josh, where do you stand on the situation?
1: Um, Nate is obviously a lot closer as far as pro boost pro nitrous, but I, I feel like. Overall, I feel like there's a strong argument to be made for kind of um, combining classes or having a marquee class. I know uh, it sounds crazy, but there's some within like NHRA or, or within teams, you know, that have like this pipe dream of combining top fuel and funny car into one like mega you know, forty car class that you know is the 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 big headline, the big you know show stealer, where every you know everything's concentrated on, on one class. So obviously, it feels like that's worked well for Donald. You know, at, you know the Sweet Sixteen and some of the different things where Radio versus the World is kind of the marquee class, and that's where you know our attention goes. Um, so I guess as a whole, I think it's um, you know if it's combining classes maybe, but at least kind of getting a designation of these are the classes, maybe one or two at the most that, that you need to focus on. I think that's, I think that's kind of important. And I think the more variety you can have parody, whatever you want to call it. I think that's, I think that makes it better for conversation, trash talk, you know, all those things. So I think, you know, I don't know if it's combining produce and pro nitrous is the answer, but I am kind of in favor of, of like a, a one class approach, I guess.
0: I got a couple of different – there's two things that I think you hit one there on the head, Josh, is that I believe fan engagement is massively encouraged and intensified with the multiple combinations. I certainly understand the argument for keeping – Nitrous cars are something that are near and dear to my heart. I don't want to see them go away at all. So that's I'm definitely paying attention to that component of it. But I I, I made this analogy recently and I it's a, it's a bit of a stretch, but if bear with me that it reminds me of like soccer. And I'm not a soccer fan, but imagine soccer the buzz. The, soccer is this worldwide sport with people that are just so passionate about it. And I don't think it would be without the Nationalities, right? The Mexico team versus the USA team versus the Argentina team versus the German team, and so on and so forth. And I think that if if you look at like soccer in America, it doesn't have near the buzz, right? Because it's just soccer America team versus soccer America team. It it doesn't have near the, and it's not that these aren't great soccer players. They're awesome. They're the best. They're some of the best in the world. But it's missing. That international, all these people waving their flags aspect. And that's what I see when I see Radioverse the World. I see passionate, over-the-top fans for nitrous cars, for supercharged cars, for pro cars, for turbo cars, small-block cars, Ford, Chevys. I think when you get all those people waving their respective flags, that's part of the secret sauce. I think the same thing exists in NHRA ProMod. Man, that that is that's a big part of it. And I don't know if that soccer analogy makes sense or not, but it it does seem like hey man, people play soccer here in America and no one seems to really care. But then whenever soccer goes on this grand stage or what's it called, World Cup, right? And all these different all these different countries are represented, boom, then it's then it's national news. Then it's then it's everybody's talking about it. Yeah, I, mean, I
1: think go ahead. I, I think I think Pro Nitrous has has somewhat of that uh, that rivalry or kind of gang uh, gang team uh, thing in the form of the the engine builder wars. You know, you have uh, Musi versus Buck, Sonny's versus uh, Fulton, but um, as as we've kind of seen over the last couple of years, uh, the Musi engines they've kind of kind of dominated that that program. You know, the PDR has has their nitrous wars program that, that rewards uh, engine builders who, who qualify number one at each race. Uh, Pat Musi and, and his customers have, have dominated that competition over the last three or four years now. But uh, you do have, have some, some rivalries there. It's yeah, inter- I, th- I think Go ahead, Josh. Well, I think, um, you know, you're looking back at pro stock, what kind of made it, special you know years ago was you know people chose a side whether Chevy or Ford or you know whatever uh, they chose a side and you know they had a a distinctive rooting interest you know to kind of reference your 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 soccer analogy Wes and and there was something that they cheered for and you know it wasn't you know the the performances now blow those performances away I mean you look at what the the numbers are running how competitive the fields are and, and everything I mean that's it's not even close but you know people had their their rooting interests and i think you see a little bit of that in Pro probon now like you said with three different power adders some you know different cars different personalities so i think it, a lot of it boils down to that you don't want you know awful performances or your cars that that aren't going to put on a show but you know you want uh you want to have aspects that you can root for rivalries all that good stuff that we've you know, kind of talked about, you know, a lot. being that
0: we are the race reporters, there's a news angle that I think is is important to mention. This is something that I've argued a long time, uh, even when nobody would listen, was that drag racing. One of the curses of the diversity and all the different people that are involved with our sport is that I think there are too many winners on Sunday. It's hard. It's hard to report on it. It's hard to do a good job. It's hard to take care of everybody. And I know that, jo, uh, Nate, that's obviously something that you are, you know, tasked with almost every weekend, especially as it relates to the the PDRA, is that you've got Pro Nitrous to talk about, you got Pro Boost to talk about, you got Extreme Pro Stock to talk about, you got Outlaw 632 or Pro Outlaw 632 to talk about, top sportsman, top dragster, pro junior dragster, top drag. I mean, it's unbelievable how many people you have to take care of and it's something that I thought has helped NASCAR. There's a lot of things that have propelled NASCAR, obviously, but I do think NASCAR having a singular winner on Sunday afternoon has been a part of their success because the mainstream, uninformed news media can, in 30 seconds, tell their viewers Tony Stewart won the NASCAR race this afternoon, the Daytona 500, and and that's it. That's all that has to be said. He took out, you know, led the race from lap 75 on, ended up winning the race. Whereas if the same news reporter is tasked with you know breaking down the NHRA spring nationals in Houston for instance for instance they've got to talk about Robert Hight and in Funny Car and whoever in Top Fuel and whoever in Pro Mod and whoever in Pro Stock and it's that's a challenge and I think what often happens is the whole thing is ignored entirely because they don't have the time to dedicate to it so that's just something that I think about if we could I mean, I, I don't know that we have time today to dive into the combining top fuel and funny car, and let's put that down for next week because that's something I would certainly <laughs> argue in favor of. But right. there is something to be said for just drilling down on the simplicity. Who won the heavyweight title fight? Who won the race? And that's my only argument, really, for the PDRA is that there was a time with Outlaw 8th Mile Drag Racing when people would have crawled crawled across broken glass to get to the next... Outlaw Pro Mod race. These eighth-mile races were on fire. Everybody was talking about it. The buzz was palpable worldwide. I mean, really, genuine worldwide interest in this brand of drag racing. I would argue that all the teams that we see involved in, in drag racing right now, from Qatar, Bahrain, uh, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, uh, Kuwait, etc., the Dominican Republic, almost all of that interest... It originated on the Outlaw 8th Mile. That interest originated on the Outlaw 8th Mile. And it's weird that we've somehow let that interest kind of wane and go elsewhere. And it's, I think it's because there needs to be some electricity, some different vibe, some change. And I I remember vividly whenever the ADRL was kind of formed and the pro-nitrous and pro-extreme divisions were, were birthed. And it, it seemed to make perfect sense. And it did at the time. The, the nitrous cars simply could not compete with, really, the, the screw blown for sure or the root-style supercharged race cars. There was just a, a massive disparity. And it made perfect sense for them to, to part company. But I look at it now, and I just wonder, like, bell-bottoms came into style, it went out of style, and kind of came back, right? And I just wonder does everything kind of come back around? That's, that's a little bit how I see it. There was tremendous disparity between those two combinations in the mid two thousands. However, if you look at like the record for PDRA pro boost and the record for PDRA pro nitrous, they're within two hundredths. So it's, it almost seems to me like, man, they've come back together. The world has provided us an opportunity to bring these combinations back to br- together. And if I think about the PDRA, if I think about a world where Lizzie Musi's gonna race Tommy D'April and Melanie Salemi's gonna race Lizzie Musi and Jay Cox and Justin, Jason Harris and all this cast of characters and all these different people with blowers and turbos and pro chargers, I just wonder if... Could the PDRA not capture a certain amount of that magic that exists down there in Valdosta, Georgia and Radioverse the World for literally at least the last five years? That category has been amongst drag racing's biggest needle movers. And I look at like the PDRA season opening event in Galat, and I look at all these incredible times, and I look at all these different racers, and if we're being honest, I just go, why isn't that buzz and electricity there? And I can't help but feel it's because they're not all racing against each other.
1: Yeah, I, I think there are certain instances where we're combining them like that that would uh, would pay off and create a little more drama and excitement. Uh, we do see that a little bit down at the Galat uh, uh, Motorsports Parks. There are Mad Mule events. Uh, Pro Boost and Pro Nitrous cars run together there. And, and there is a lot of close racing. On the other hand, uh, I know there are a lot of pro nitrous racers who, who feel very strongly about only racing against other nitrous cars. Um, I know, I don't know if you, you talk, talked about that with Pat Musi on your last episode, but I know that's, that's one thing that he feels strongly about is he really enjoys pro nitrous racing because he doesn't have to worry about racing a blower car, racing a pro charger car, or a turbo car.
0: I, I can't argue. I, I mean, I can I can make that argument too. I'm i <laughs> It's funny because I'm I'm pretty happy to to argue either side of the fence. I there's a there's an <laughs> argument to be made there. There really is. But I guess I just look. I feel there's a need. I feel there's a little bit of a void, and I just wonder if uh, throwing everybody in a, a bottle and shaking it up, if you will, w- it would be interesting to see what. And I think I actually have a proposition. If uh, and we'll use this as a bookend for this particular part of the conversation. We've been on this for a minute. We got to move on. But I would like to, I would like to suggest an all-star event. I wonder if the PDRA wouldn't be wise to have some sort of once a year, big money payout type of thing where they run everybody together and maybe the only top points earners get in or the top four or the top eight in points do a 16 car field in both classes and, you bring the guys. I'm not sure. There's got to be, or some sort of big bud shootout type of deal that pays good money and and just experiment with it. I know they're kind of dabbling in it right now with the classic graphics uh, battle thing they're having with the non-qualifiers, running the non-qualifiers in both categories together. But i got to be honest, that was exciting to me. I enjoyed watching it. I, I paid attention to it because I just liked the dynamic. And... It would be cool to see maybe in 2020. Let's throw that out there to the world. I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot some texts out. Nate, you do the same. Josh, you do the same. Let's tell everybody. Let's have a PDRA All Star race in 2020.
1: I'm all about an All Star race. I'll tell you that, but it's got to be like you said. It's got to be something a little different. You know, the the Traxxas shootout uh, was just you know another race to me. I mean, it was just you know seeing who got down first and qualifying. I think if you're competing for that much money or something like this at an all-star event, I think it's got to be, it's got to be something unique pairing different classes, you know, like the mud shootout, whatever, and and just doing something cool and unique, but I'm all for an all-star race.
0: Nate, where would you, would you vote for an all-star race? Of course you would, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I I think, um, I think a a one-off event like that would be a great way to test the waters and, and see how close those cars are and, and, uh, get to see some of those personalities kind of mix it up
0: all right well with that said let's move into our our second topic and this one is going to be another one that i think is fairly hotly contested hotly debated is that we are headed into the nhra's second four wide race of 2019 second and last i believe it's their only one we're headed to z max there are only two right there are no others Two. Yeah, two. Two a year. So the NHRA heads to Z Max Dragway, the, the Bellagio of drag strips, Bruton Smith's big Taj Mahal there outside of Charlotte, North Carolina for the NHRA four wide nationals. It's uh it's the second second one of the year. We we saw them the stars of the NHRA race four wide in Las Vegas just a few short weeks ago. And I have to say this is this is something that I've talked about a lot. It seems to be a fairly debated subject amongst racers themselves. Where where we stand on this four-wide format, there are those that believe it's the ultimate spectacle, right? 40,000 horsepower and, you know, all this, all these, what do you say, um, the, uh, Sensory overload, so to speak, right? Not that drag racing isn't that already, but four wide, it's exciting. All these different things. Where do you guys stand on it? Nate, we'll start with you. I'm not sure we've ever ever talked about this before, so I'm kind of excited to hear what you say, hear what you have to say about it.
1: Yeah, it's it's funny because uh, with four wide racing, you don't have to wonder where someone stands <laughs> on the four wide thing. You don't have to wonder if if they don't like it. If if someone doesn't like four wide race, then they're gonna tell you um, you know, drag racing fans have been very vocal about that. You can, uh, we see it all the time. We'll post a story about the four wide race and, and right out of oh, the work people just come four wide is awful. This is a, an abomination, a, an attack on drag racing. And <laughs> I, I just, um, I don't see the, I don't see this as a big deal like that. I, I think it's, it's cool to to see it, you know, originally it was a once-a-year thing. Now it's twice-a-year with the four-wide race in Vegas. Um, I think it's a good thing. It it attracts some some people who might not necessarily want to come out to the drag strip for a, a usual race, but to see them four wide, it's 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 very extreme. It's like you said, it's a sensory overload, and um, I'm definitely for it uh, at least a couple times a year. I don't think I definitely don't think every drag strip should be four-wide or every Every race should be four wide, but I think it's cool to see it once or twice a year. Josh, how about you? Well, uh, Nate, you're stealing my thunder because uh, I'm gonna, <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm pro four wide drag racing all the way. Uh, maybe it's because I didn't, you know, quote unquote, grow up in the sport. My dad, you know, was never really involved in the sport, so I really had no reference to the the good old days or back in the day or, or this or that. You know, I kind of just grew up in the sport as a career you know as my journalism career took off was my first time to the drag strip uh type of thing so it's it always was was a a cool kind of spectacle to me and this kind of just enhances it now obviously you don't want 24 races of that because then you're changing the very nature of the sport but you know twice i don't see how how anybody could you know get so upset that they have such a, a strong opinion, like it's the worst thing in the world. It just <laughs> <it's funny. laughs> it blows me away. And so, and, and also, I think, I mean, we're in the tenth year of this. It's not like it's, you know, is that I, I, true? It kind of is that true? Ten me. years? Yeah, yeah, this is the this is the tenth year at Zmax. Uh, the 10th floor wide. So, I mean, it's, it's Holy like shit. I didn't know that. Yeah.
0: <sighs> it seems like they just did this the other day. Like right. I literally close my eyes and I can see those, the, like in my head, the, the, the pictures of like John Force yep. and all the, yeah. the groundbreaking thing. I don't remember that being 10
1: years ago. Holy shit. Yeah. I talked to Erica Anders this week and she she was like, you can't, you're not serious. Right. Yeah. You know, like she was convinced that it was like the fifth fifth year of it and I said, no it's, it's really it is the 10 so wow, well, i'm kind of I mean, glad i'm
0: going man there's a little bit of a history there i, I love yeah. getting to be a part of these anniversary things or whatever it you guys both make very valid points and i i literally jotted down a bunch of notes because there's there's things that i think are great about it like there's one aspect that I really noticed, and this was funny because my wife, Alicia, you guys both know Alicia, she's she's happy to go to the drag strip for a little while, but she doesn't want to be there like all day and all night the way I like to be there. So at the, she came with me to Vegas for the Four Wides a couple of weeks ago, and the first thing that she noticed, and it really resonated with me, is that the race was going to be over on Sunday at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. She's like, Wes, the race is going to be over at 3. We're going to be able to like go do other stuff. And I thought... You know, that that is something that we're probably glossing over. You know, the the fan, the the excitement of it and the spectacle of it is all fantastic. But the fact that it happens fast, I don't think that's all bad. I mean, you look at the NFL, you look at NASCAR whatever. It seems, I mean, the MLB, they're like doing everything in their power to shorten up the length of a a baseball game, to speed the the deal up, because these games go on forever, it seems like. So... I've, i wondered, do you think that that's kind of an unforeseen benefit of the four wide format that, Hey, this thing, we're going to see this deal start and end inside four hours.
1: Yeah, I think that's definitely attractive for the, the casual motorsports fan or, or just the, the family that wants to go have something to do on a Friday or Saturday night. Um, you know, most people, they're used to going to a, a baseball game, a basketball game, a concert, comedy show whatever couple two three hours they're done um whereas whereas hardcore drag racing fans and drag racers themselves they'd uh they'd show up at the track at at 7 a.m and spend the whole day there and probably sleep at the track if if the option was available um thank god for those people i think that's yeah definitely <laughs> but i i think that's something that that we sometimes forget is that's not a normal um normal plan for most people who are going out to the drag strip. Yeah, totally. Maybe for the first time. What's the first thing you hear about NASCAR, you know, now is all the races are too long. Oh, we got to shorten the race. Oh, we got to shorten the race. Well, you you got the perfect situation here. You only have to go uh, into your seat, you know, three times first round, you know, go back into the pits after that, come back up in second round, go back to the pits, come up, watch the finals and call yourself, you know, call it a day. I think it's, (laughs) I think it's perfect. And especially, um, Um, you know, if you want to bring like a young kid or, you know, get some younger fans into it, you know, it was a great thing that, you know, I was able to take my son to it last year. We, we watched two rounds and and called it a day. Um, So I think it's good in that respect too, where, you know, you're giving younger kids like a chance to see this behemoth of a, of a site where you have four cars going down at once. And, you know, if you're there for two hours, you see a bunch of cars go down the track, you know, young kid's blown away. You know, I think that's it's a great day.
0: There's volume, right? Like, I think the volume of it, not like literal volume, like decibel level, but just the amount of shit that's happening. I think that that's yeah. – that is exciting. And it's – there was a thing that I, I talked about a long, long time ago in, a, in my column for Drag Illustrator for the magazine. It was – I think back sometimes on the stuff that I would put in print that I actually wrote down and signed my name to and sent out to tens of thousands of people. It's kind of hilarious when I look back at it. But I, I argued that I thought the NHRA – and this is something we should talk about maybe next week during like a really super NHRA-centric thing like king for the day. But I argued that this was in the height – at the height of the 1,000-foot debate, right? I thought uh-huh. that it would be cool to see the NHRA adopt all three. Like, let's run some races 1,000 foot, let's run some quarter mile, and let's run some eighth oh, yeah. mile. Very similar to the in, the NASCAR road course, uh, super speedway, and oval kind of thing, right? Every race, there are drivers that shine in particular formats. There are events that, that draw different types of crowds. And my argument was that, for instance, if you're a race fan based out of Missouri – and the NHRA ran quarter mile at Gateway Motorsports Park, which was recently renamed, and I can't come up with the title right now. And you wanted to go to some drag racing events. You'd go to the you'd go watch the NHRA run quarter mile at St. Louis. Maybe you'd go watch them run a uh, thousand foot in Topeka, you know, And then maybe you would burn over to, Chicago or whatever six hours and this is a bad example because Chicago is plenty long to run quarter or whatever but you may go watch them run eighth mile there and it just may be a fan that is typically only going to go to one race a year maybe he would be inspired to go to three and I I think that same thing kind of happens in Charlotte and Vegas because I think there are fans that they go to the four wide because it's different but they also come back and they watch the, the fall races that are the traditional two wide format so I think that that's that's a part of it is is going back to the well a little bit. There's a part of it that you want to use the four-wide format to get new fans, but I think that you get a little bit more out of your regular fans. Do you think there's any truth to that?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. And I also think, Wes, you gave uh, people a stroke suggesting if you run eighth mile, you know some hardcore drag racing people might have lost their minds for a second. There. Oh, I'll get hate mail. There's no <laughs> doubt about it, man. It's,
0: people are really freaking passionate about their race distances. I and I don't know if for whatever reason, and I you know, and it's I always think it's interesting. This is something that we should explore at some point in the future because both of you guys, younger guys that don't have like a, a multi-generation car guys in your family or racers in your family, but myself. You know, I've been at the drag strip literally since a few days before I was born in my mother's womb. I've spent more time there probably <laughs> than anywhere else. And growing up in the Midwest, you raced quarter and eighth mile. There were quarter mile tracks everywhere. There were eighth mile tracks. And I can't say everywhere, but there were plenty of both. And we weren't really decisive about it. However, I have friends that live out on the West Coast. They cannot be bothered to race eighth mile. I, I mean, it is unbelievable how strongly they feel about it. And then I have plenty of people that are from the Southeast and the East Coast and even really up in the New England colonies, and they're going, Why in the world would you run quarter mile? It's unsafe. It's hard on parts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Nothing happens. I had guys tell me multiple times that nothing happens, nothing good ever happens after the eighth mile. You're just holding on, waiting on something right. bad to happen. Uh, but it is interesting how crazy everybody is about it. And it's, I think the same thing happens with this four wide and that's, we're very blessed in drag racing. Nobody's lukewarm really on anything. If you are kind of, if you're straddling the fence when it comes to anything drag racing, you're, you're in the minority.
1: But Here's, here's something though. You mentioned that it, the the, the quarter mile, eighth mile just kind of like differentiates, you know, the types of tracks. So, um, I, I did talk to to um, Chris Pettergram this week, and he said he, he's a massive fan of of the four wide. He loves it, and he said, you know, if we can do a four wide in the countdown, I'd be one hundred percent for it. So, wow. um, yeah. So I think you have, and and I think honestly, you have. I think every racer, when it comes down to it, realizes that that this is a good race, and the ones who say they don't like it, it's for selfish kind of robotic routine reasons you know i don't like you know you know whatever you know I, i'm used to racing too wide because this is how i stage and blah 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 i think when it comes down to it every almost every every racer professionally understands that this is a a good event it attracts fans it's a great atmosphere this and that so you know and even let's go through the line of you know just a, a variety of people that i was able to talk to this week austin Proc, rookie he loves it uh, Chris Pedergon veteran. He loves it. He'd do it every year, you know, every race, uh, Jerry Savoie motorcycle guy. He loves it because he said, it's a chance. It's your chance to watch the best guys screw up on the starting line. You know, he's just that, that monkey wrench. And then Stevie Jackson, it takes me back to grudge racing days. So, I mean, there's so many different aspects of it. I I think it's, it's, it's unique for all these guys. And I think when it boils down to it, they're all, secretly a fan whether they want to say so or not
0: (laughs) mate did you notice how badly screwed up jeg coughlin jr is by this and i hope i don't upset him but it's that he really this is i would argue that jeg coughlin jr i'm going to make up for my my kind of calling him out here real quick i think he might be one of the best drag racing drivers of all time i think that argument could be made but he literally like I think he left before the tree was activated in Vegas. Did you, did you, I mean, it, it screws up the best in the business.
1: Yeah. I think when you have someone who uh, gets still locked into their routine, like Jeg, you know, he's known as one of the, the best, most consistent drivers in pro stock. I think when you have someone like that, when you throw them a new element, like the four wide staging process, I could definitely see how, how that would uh, really throw off your routine and, and make an otherwise uh, veteran, very experienced, successful driver look look like a, a rookie.
0: It's fun, man. I do think that there's so many things to talk about. It's shorter. Fans love it. I do think there's a certain part of it that are nostalgic, right? It is something different. Fans may go to a couple of races. So no matter how we feel about it, I think the four whites here to stay. Bruton Smith didn't pour all that concrete to have people change their mind at some point in the future. Ten years in. Thanks for the reminder there, Josh. And. It's a, but it is an interesting debate. It's a fun one to talk about, and it opens the door to a whole a whole world of things that topics that we can cover in in uh, in months and weeks to come. So hey, let's let's shift gears here and kind of continue on the NHRA path. This is something that I don't know if, if you guys have noticed it as much as I have, but the the announcement here in two thousand nineteen that the NHRA was going to experiment with a Mountain Motor Pro Stock exhibition kind of Really answering the call for content as they reduced the NHRA Pro stock, the traditional 500 cubic inch factory hot rod schedule from 24 races to 18 in 2019, which is a very celebrated thing. I've been, I was surprised. I wasn't surprised to see the NHRA do this, bring something new into the fold. Like I said, they're really just answering they need content. They need more cars on the track. So they bring in this other category. But what's really taken me by surprise has been the fan interest, the racer interest, just how many headlines are being uh, produced by this category in drag racing. In the last couple of weeks, really all I've seen in the drag racing news world has kind of related to Mountain Motor Pro Stock, whether it's someone... Coming out of, uh, you know, coming off the sidelines, jumping behind the wheel of a car like Vincent Nobile, he kind of quickly became a young star in NHRA Pro Stock, uh, goes away for a little while, uh, not to prison or anything, he just lost his ride for a little (laughs) while. (laughs) I sounded like he was going to the pen there, jeez, okay, but... He literally stepped away, but he's making a triumphant return here. We're going to see these cars race four-wide at the the NHRA four-wide nationals in Charlotte. We saw them put on a hell of a show, set some records, go really fast down at the the spring nationals in Houston. And this just really brings up this whole notion with all this buzz about it, with all this buzz about pro stock racing – what's stopping us from further experimenting with trying to bring the 500-cubic-inch and 800-plus-cubic-inch Pro Stock cars together? There seems to be a pretty significant inventory of cars, and I know there are people that I'm very close to who are going to wring my neck when this goes public, but i got to tell you, I think it might be time to kind of go back down that road. The NHRA, and I have to preface this by saying the NHRA did try. In October of last year, they brought a mountain motor car. Brad Waddle brought him and his 800-plus cubic inch I believe Kazi-powered Ford Mustang brought him out to a couple of events and had him try to make some runs on the mandated NHRA Pro Stock uh, tire, a Goodyear tire, had him run with their mandated Sunoco fuel, tried to hang a little bit of weight on the car and see how it would run. It was still decidedly faster than a 500-inch car but I'm just curious from a maybe strictly as a from a fan perspective where do you guys stand is this something that we should talk about or is it just apples and oranges bring in the 500 cubic inch traditional pro stock cars together with their mountain motor brethren
1: I I think I would have to stay with my uh, my stance on on keeping pro boost and pro nitrous separate no I think I think maybe, uh, same deal, maybe once or twice a year, it'd be cool to, to bring the two together for some kind of an all-star shootout. But I think if you start uh, hanging weight on the mountain motor cars or, or doing any, anything at all to, to limit their, their performance and potential, I think you're going to cut into the, the excitement of those cars.
0: There's some truth to that. Josh, what's, what's your, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I guess kind of in theory, I would love to see it happen, but I just don't, you know, I'm kind of looking at it and, and I just can't figure out how it does happen without taking away, like like Nate said, kind of the essence of Mountain Motor Pro Stock and what that class is all about, why the fans are so excited to see them on this big stage. Uh, I don't know if there's a way that you can do it that makes sense and isn't just kind of, just kind of you know, doing it to do it. Um you know, I would love to see it, but again, I, I don't know how it happens. And my other question is, I don't know how it could happen if it can happen for like a full season consistently. You know, year after year. You know, we these guys are used to you know these days racing. You know, uh, you know previously ADRL, then now PDRA. You know, it's you know eight, nine, ten races uh, to even go to eighteen. I, I, I don't know that you can sustain it for a driver that wants to race for a championship. Now, if you're, if it's a big enough draw where they can race four or five, six, eight times a year and, you know, just having a chance to win a Wally is good enough. You know, maybe that's a, you know, that's, that's furthers the conversation, but uh, I, I just, I don't know how we get to that point. I'm not smart enough to, to know that, but uh, I, I like the idea and concept. I just don't know if it's, you know, In practice, if it's it's so many
0: things in drag racing are like that, right? I mean, maybe in life they sound great in theory, but whenever you try to put them into practice, there's just no way to pull it off. I, I, I love the. I I too, I don't want all of us just to fall right in line. I love the idea of it. I do think I will say that right now the NHRA has got like a mandatory ten thousand six hundred RPM rev limiter on these five hundred inch cars and. I know that if that rev limiter was removed, I think we'd see all these 500-inch cars already in the uh, the 640 range. Now, granted, we just saw John DeFlorian, JR Carr, uh, Chris Powers, and a host of others dip well into the 620s at the Spring Nationals in Houston, where the Pro Stock, their 500-inch... Uh, counterparts were running 650s right so there's there's a considerable gap there i think it could be tightened up the nhra cars are five or twenty three hundred and fifty pounds the mount motor cars are twenty four hundred and fifty pounds so i think maybe you could hang a little more weight on those mount motor cars and and probably get them at some point all to run in the 640 range but the thing that I think the biggest hurdle probably is, you're right, there's definitely not enough of the mountain motor guys that would probably go to all the races. That's it's, it's interesting, and it's going to serve a, there's a really good segue here for us, but I don't want to shortchange this particular conversation because I do think people are interested in it. It's happened before. I think that's why people kind of have a romantic notion about it is there was a time in the IHRA kind of glory days that they ran these cars together. There's a couple things that it seemed like when the NHRA was exploring this it was done in in uh, in the name of class preservation right there's been it seems like every time you talk about drag racing or the, especially as the NHRA is concerned you can't not talk about the the death of pro stock I mean we've seen headlines literally I've seen you know on some big websites where it's pro stocks over put in put a fork in them it's done that that's gone now I mean all of a sudden in a flash we've got pro stock Seemingly having new life in it, uh, five hundred inch pro stock racing. I think that's going to be. Uh, yeah, I think that's directly contributed to our the reduced schedule, which we'll be able to talk about next. But there's a thing that that I think we can touch on is just the nature of racers, right? That the thing that I think would happen that would be hard is a whatever was the ideal, you know, the ideal combination if Richard Freeman or Ken Black um uh or any of these guys that that are involved in 500 inch high level pro stock racing if they saw that it was advantageous to have an 800 inch car they'd just go build one and then <laughs> we'd all have you know what I mean and it's 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 interesting because it does it talks you know Nate's stance on the PDRA pro boost pro nitrous thing it's it's all valid right because as soon as a dominant combination was identified that's probably where everybody would head And we'd have it be the same thing We'd just a few years later, right? What six of one, half dozen of another. So it's it does sound great right now. I think it would be exciting. And one of the things that I'm kind of seeing here, and maybe we could touch on, is really the value. And this is we're going to step away from our our plan here, but maybe all of drag racing could benefit from some of these all star shake things up type of deal. I mean, look at our own World Series of Pro Mod, it's just a standalone event. Donald Long's Lights Out, Donald Long's Sweet 16, those two events being standalone events. The Yellow Bullet Nationals, even. There's a lot of different. The Streetcar Super Nationals is probably one of the most celebrated standalone events in the country. I wonder if, you know, pro level drag racing wouldn't benefit from some all star type events where maybe once a year there's a World Series of Pro Stock where 500 inch and 800 inch cars all run together for a big cash prize. I don't know. Maybe that's all the things we're talking about here kind of seem to circle around. We need more special happenings.
1: Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, I think one of the, the problems that exists in racing right now is that, um, everything is, is very segregated. You know, if, if you're a mountain motor pro stock guy, you're going to stick to mountain motor pro stock stuff. If you're a pro nitrous guy, you're going to stick to pro nitrous stuff. I think with, something that we're seeing now with uh, NHRA bringing in mountain motor pro stock is um, some of the, some of the fans that follow mountain motor pro stock. Now they're going to start following the NHRA national events where, where mountain motor pro stock is racing guys who, who might not have paid attention to what, what's been happening in the NHRA world for a while. They're starting to come back and and follow it because of uh, the mountain motor deal. And, and it, it goes the other way. Um, a fan of, of Erica Enders or Jay Coughlin might now get to be exposed to the John Florians, the John Puccinos of the world that, that compete in PDRA. So I think, um, I think if you can bring together two separate worlds on, on one stage, I think it, it can benefit everyone involved. Yep. Yeah, I, I totally, totally agree with that, Nate. And, um, I, I feel like you, with, with, NHRA especially you get locked in a routine you know it's first uh, the the week after the Super Bowl is you go to Pomona and that starts the year you know first spring break is Gainesville U.S. Nationals is is Labor Day you got a four four race streak in a row in June you have the Western Swing in July into August you have and you you know every, the routine year after year after year after year stays the same. So I think – and there's a lot of good to that. You know, obviously the U.S. Nationals is amazing. You know, you've got a lot of great tradition in that a lot of times. But sometimes you just kind of get stuck in the routine and it just feels same old, same old. I think if you can bring out some sort of, like, special all-star quality event or a big shootout or just anything like that 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 makes it a little different, makes it a little more special – a little more unique, a little more new. Uh, I think you you have to have to go for it, and you're, I think you're almost at a great time now because you've seen the Pro Stock schedule uh, switch up, so they're not at every race. So, like in Houston, you had a, a bigger spotlight on Mountain Motor Pro Stock and Pro Mod because it was just two nitro and, the, and then this. You, and you know, at Epping, you're only going to have the two nitro classes and Mountain Motor Pro Stock. So I, I think you have. Kind of gaps and, and openings now in the schedule where you can, you know, if you if you can think of something and have something that works, I think you can apply it into the schedule like that, like that now.
0: I got to tell you, this is one of those situations where it's like tradition. And this is coming from Westbuck, who has Taco Tuesday every tuesday who has mozzarella (laughs) mondays every monday where my kids and i order pizza i mean we're we're stupid about traditions i love this type my wife we have wine down wednesday where we go out and have a glass of wine i mean i'm silly about traditions right and but they're not always good right i mean i think that's a great point josh because 60 years you can there's so many fantastic things that you can identify about the NHRA's track record and this rich history and tradition. But I know that I'm not trying to bag on anybody, but some of this shit's a little bit a bit of a yawner because you just it's the same place, the same time of year, all these different things. So I I think you're actually kind of making a really good point that we're all the routine of it, a sport that's been around for over six decades. I know there are people that are probably, like I said, going to like send me hate mail or a pipe bomb or something, but I wouldn't be against some shaking things up. I don't think it's going to be all bad, and it's there's a ton of things we can talk about. That epic, epic event, make a note, I definitely want to talk about if the NHRA, how the NHRA is going to look, how a national event is going to look with nothing but nitro, right? How it, how that whole thing is going to look up there. I'm very, very excited to talk about that next week. But let's, let's kind of close on this. We've been going for a little while, and we want to keep these things as concise as we can. Fourth and final topic for this first-ever episode of The Race Reporters, and I want to thank you guys both, Nate and Josh, for being a part of this. How much... Um, we just talked about how much the reduced schedule for our NHRA Pro Stock friends has helped that category. And if you talk to any of the team owners short a few, there are those that did not like the change. Mainly those that have major corporate sponsors. I'd I'd highlight Greg and Jason, Greg Anderson and Jason Line. They have a oh. big relationship with Summit racing equipment, their deals. I don't obviously I don't admit to know all the inner workings, but those deals generally are Correlated to number of races, so you're going to get X amount of dollars for X number of races, so I know there was a huge outcry last fall from that team, especially, and and a few others that, hey, this reduction of schedule, it's not going to help our finances. I know Erica Enders, you mentioned her earlier, Josh. I know Erica didn't love it because she felt like it reduced her ability to claim... Being a professional drag racer right it reduced her ability to kind of feel like a pro because they ran a reduced schedule it was different than the nitro classes and so there's some cosmetic kind of reasons to not like it but the thing I wanted to to bookend our conversation with was should the NHRA consider a reduced schedule being that we're having car count issues that are perhaps never more so apparent than at four wide races. There was a round of top fuel qualifying in Vegas where there were only 12 cars on the track. There were some lower budget teams that chose to set out a session and The four white, considering the state of affairs, considering where we're at with, with drag racing right now, as it, you know, it's top categories, top fuel and funny car inarguably are sports, most prestigious, most visible, quickest and fastest eliminators. Do you think the sport of drag racing should the NHRA experiment with, and not even experiment, I would argue, do you think that they should commit to a reduced schedule? Nate, we'll start with you.
1: Um as much as I love as much drag racing as possible, I think, I think, uh, moving to a shorter schedule would, would definitely, uh, help a lot of the issues that, that exist right now. I think it would be, um, you know, I think it'd be NHRA helping, helping the racers, uh, kind of get away from themselves and their, their, uh, tendencies to, to spend as much money as possible and, and go racing as much as possible when when it, it doesn't make much sense financially. Um, you know, Josh and I were talking about this last night. Just the the travel expenses associated with going to a race, uh, aside from whatever happens at the racetrack, uh, whether it's hotels, diesel fuel, flights, um, meals, all that stuff adds up. And if you if you take away those expenses from uh, from 24 events down to even 20 races, I think, I think that'd be a considerable saving for teams. And, and I think it, it'd result in a better show. If, you know, if you have an average of at least 16 nitro cars racing at 20 events, I think that's a lot better than, uh, an average of 14 or 15 cars racing at 24 events.
0: Josh, do you, where do you stand on it?
1: So I kind of, uh, Go back and forth on this. I don't know. Um, I, I get what you mentioned, Erica, saying you know you want to feel like a professional racer, and I I t- I, I kind of understand that. Like, am I a professional racer if I race sixteen times a year? You know, which sounds better to me, twenty four or sixteen as a as a race? You know, so I get I kind of get that, and I kind of get on the other side of that. I you know maybe twenty or twenty two is the sweet spot. You know, as far as filling fields and and reducing expenses and and all that good stuff but the question that i come back to then is what race do you remove (laughs) and then you go down the list and it's like well you know maybe this one or maybe that but by and large most of these races are are very well attended these days you know despite what you know some people on the internet may want to scribble about or you know whatever you know a lot of these races are, are very well attended uh you know even you know, at at maybe non-glamorous locations, you know, the, the fans turn out. So you could, it it would be hard for me to imagine that say, Hey, we're not going to go to this track. Um,
0: Can you imagine making that phone call, right? (laughs) Right. Can you imagine making the phone call that, that says to to track operator a or whatever, and just telling them, Hey bro, love what you (laughs) love all we've done together, but this year we're out. I mean, it, you're right. I mean, because I don't know. I don't know where you start trimming the fat. I know that, like, I don't want to be the uh, the bearer of bad news here, but I would most assuredly consider going the tracks that we go to twice, you're getting cut off. And I know that that, but then there's right, the economy yep. of that. Like, I probably just yep. got myself kicked out of ZMAX for even mentioning <laughs> such a thing because those facilities thrive. That's another thing that I don't know a lot of people fully understand that, A lot of these tracks, they live and die by those national events. I actually had an opportunity way, way back when to be – I got offered the job as general manager at Gateway, right, the racetrack in St. Louis. It was crazy that I was even – I was like 22 years old, and I had no business with that responsibility. But I couldn't believe when I looked at some of their finances and and kind of got to peek behind the veil, they really only had one surefire winner on their schedule. They raced all the time. They had events all the time. But there was really only one that made the place any money. And I couldn't really wrap my head around it. I mean, the place was so expensive to run. The lights were so expensive. It was so expensive to staff. It's so big. There's all these fixed expenses. And there was only really one race the whole freaking year that, that made them any money. So if you were to call... I don't know, Seth Angel, for instance, and tell Seth that we weren't going to go back the owner of Houston Raceway Park, powered by Pins Oil, and I don't, I'm not trying to suggest that Houston is one we cut, so before I get any nasty emails, but I'm just, can, I can't really imagine what that would look like, to call a track owner like that, or, I mean, this is an obvious one, so I'm going to say it, like, you'd never cut Norwalk out of the schedule, this is one of the most beautiful drag racing facilities on the planet Earth, There's no chance you're not going to go to Norwalk. You're not going to call Bill Bader up, Bill Bader Jr., and tell him you're not coming this year. So I don't know where you cut, but I'll tell you guys, wrap your head around this. I had a conversation with a pro-stock team owner at the NHRA Gator Nationals in Gainesville. I can't remember exactly what the number was, but I know that he was spending, I think it was 18 hotel rooms that he had for Gainesville. It was $3,600 a night that he was spending on hotel rooms. I think it was 18 hotel rooms at roughly 200 bucks a whack. So you put your crew there, you know, starting Wednesday or even Thursday, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday, night, you're hoping and praying they leave on Sunday night and head home. Get the hell out of here. Right. Cause well, so ahead, what, what if
1: this is, what if this is the, the, the solution then is, as you select races? You, you, you don't race on Sunday. You race, Elimination Saturday night. So you save yourself at least one night in hotel, you know, figure out a way, maybe you get three qualifying sessions and then race day, you know, Saturday night. So you save yourself a night in a hotel, you know, six or seven times throughout the course of the year, or you make the U S nationals end on Sunday instead of Monday, you know, instead of five qualifying sessions. And do we need five qualifying sessions? I don't, I don't know. I don't really think you do, No, Um, no. you know, just go with four and, and have race day on Sunday, you know, I think, for me, uh, I think that's kind of where I would try to find ways where maybe you can get out a day quicker, or introduce something different like running eliminations at night on a Saturday night or something like that, where you can kind of save days here and there. You know, if you're talking, what'd you say, thirty-six thousand dollars,
0: thirty-six hundred a night. You know, but if you think about night, that, you know, eighteen so. times a year. I mean, you think about right. thirty-six. Just just wrap your head around this, right? So you got. Let's just say, for the sake of like being nice, you're gonna only put your guys up for three nights, and there's no team owner that's probably only buying hotels for three nights. If I'm if I'm being honest, so you've got about eleven grand, ten thousand eight hundred dollars, and for a pro stock team, that's eighteen races. That's a hundred and ninety four thousand four hundred dollars that you're spending. Now, granted, this is a pro stock team. I mean, and the, the team owner I'm talking about had multiple cars, so it's a little bit of anomaly. But I mean, this particular team, and if you look at the Nitro ranks, multi, most of these, many of them, are multi car operations. I mean, you're spending 200 grand on hotels a year. It's insane. So, but I wonder. You you make a really valid point that there are probably other changes that could be made, and this is something that we can talk about in weeks to come as far as what changes could be made. I really like that idea, Josh, of maybe having six or eight races that are, that are two day shows instead of, of three day shows. And I certainly think indie Especially it's in almost a joke, right? It's almost a joke that indies become that it's this, I mean, I'm going to more hate mail headed my way. Wes at drag If you've got something to say, feel free to <laughs> hit me up, but it's, it is kind of, it's well known joke that it takes forever to get through Indy, right? I mean, if you survive right. yeah. the U.S. Nationals, you've done something.
1: Yeah, I don't think you make a race more special just by throwing out extra qualifying sessions. I don't think that—that that, for me, I no. don't think that does it. <laughs> yeah, I think if anything, you you make it it shorter. You know, if you can't right. get yourself figured out in three runs, maybe you don't deserve to, right? To race at the U.S.
0: Nationals. Nate, speak speaking my language, man. I, I argue that all the time. I look at Donald Long's big race, the, one of the most celebrated races on our schedule really right now. I mean, one of the races that, if you look at it from us, for Drag Illustrated and Drag Illustrated.com, this is a race that generates subscriptions, generates page views, tons of interest, and I hate 12 qualifying sessions for me, who can't qualify? I mean, if you don't qualify at that race, I mean, now granted, I'm not trying to bag on the guys who didn't, and that's probably going to piss somebody off too. But, I mean, you get a lot of shots at it. I mean, you're definitely going to make your best run. If you didn't qualify, it's just because you probably don't have the power or the budget that one of these other guys have, right? Because with that many runs, I agree. Nate's, Nate's on to something, man. that's the reason you got the the, the editor-in-chief title there, because that's – I think that if you can't get qualified in in three three shots, you might not deserve to be at the biggest and most prestigious drag race in the world.
1: Of course, last year we wouldn't have seen Stevie Fast win if we didn't have five qualifiers. Wow, kicking the but, balls! Thanks. <laughs> but but I get but no, I'm totally on. You need you don't need five, but you know that's <laughs> that came to mind. But I I mean you know that. <laughs> I'm glad we'll you just threw that there. out there,
0: though, because my biggest fear, <laughs> just so everybody that uh, that consumes this knows, one of my biggest fears is there's a lot of like-minded folks here at Drag Illustrated. So one of my biggest fears with this first episode of The Race Reporters and trying to keep this thing go for, going for a long time is that we'd all get on here and just agree, or all of us think the exact same thing. So I'm glad you threw that out there. I, <laughs> I do wonder, Josh, Nate, uh, as we kind of wrap this thing up, the The economics of drag racing really seems like a problem right now. I mean, for nitro, for nitro classes, uh, and I don't need to reiterate why it's so important. This is this is our this is our NFL the NHRA Top Fuel and Funny Car. This is our pro, most visible part of the of our sport. And I do get bummed out when I see racers like Leah Pritchett, who I believe is a legitimate superstar in the making. If she's uh, there have been it's been said before that she's likely the most visible drag racer of all time, considering the Papa John's commercials and the Mopar commercials and the Pennzoil commercials and all the different publicity that she's enjoyed over the years. The fact that she's rolling into the NHRA four wide nationals with, you know, her buddy's picture on the side of a race car. It's terrifying to me. If Leah Pritchett can't get a sponsor right now, if she can't, get a sponsor, that's a problem. And I and I don't know if it's entirely because no one can foot the bill for the whole season, but I definitely think that if a guy could, if a company could come on and, and become a sponsor of a team, if there was any reduction, a 20-30% reduction by way of the schedule being reduced, man, it, it might be something we have to consider. I know that these, I don't know, I look at the government, I look at I mean, we're defined by hard decisions, right? And this is going to be tough. But I certainly think it's going to be something that has to be explored. And maybe it's not in reducing the schedule, but a cost reduction has to be explored. Nate, I know you're close to a whole lot of Nitro teams. And you're actually close with a lot of guys that are trying to go Nitro racing. That's a tough deal. I mean, it's always been hard, but it's so expensive that it's hard to provide a sponsor the ROI required for the investment,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. I think it is a tough sell in in some aspects, but um, I, on the other side of things, I think I think a lot of people don't realize the way the the sponsorship models have changed over the years. Uh, at one time, it was enough to to put a company's name on the side of the car, on the side of the hauler, on the crew uniforms, and mention their name whenever you got on TV. Now it's uh, it's more a lot about the business to business deals and what you're able to accomplish, um, in the pits and in those hospitality areas. Um, you know, I was talking with Blake Alexander earlier this week and he talks about how, um, a lot of his deals, it's, it's about his sponsor getting customers out to the track and, and realizing what's out there at drag ra- in drag racing. You know, they see it as, as, as a golf outing or, a company experience, whether they're bringing customers to the track, bringing employees to the track, and um, I, I think, I think in one way, if you're if you're selling it around the value that's there, those deals are out there. You look at at the NAPA deal, um, a lot of the auto parts companies. That's that's where they find their value in sponsoring drag racing. And I think if if more companies and more racers took that approach, I think. Uh, I think there are probably more deals out there like that 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 aren't being explored.
0: I, I I would agree with that. I think that people don't understand. There's two parts of it, and I know we've got to be brief here, but I believe, and I'm obviously I'm not looking at anybody's bank statements, but there was a time when you know big name drag racers would sign a sponsorship, and they'd take a million of it and pocket that shit. They would deposit it. They'd literally put it in a savings account. They'd keep it, and they'd take the rest of it, and they would run their team on it, right? I mean, I think there were times there are people in drag racing who've made a mint via sponsor dollars. The models change so much. One of the ones that really stick out to me is, did you guys ever notice that John Force never had hospitality? That, that's something that always stuck out to me, is you'd go to the pits, and you'd see every team have hospitality trucks and have caterers and like that was a huge part of their operation john force never had to until recently and he was one of the last guys to have to kind of bite the bullet buy another truck and trailer and prepare himself to offer corporate hospitality because you're exactly right nate the models changed dramatically it's not about signage it's not about branding it's about creating these experiences whether it's with, with fans and trying to earn customers, rewarding employees, that's one of the models that I've seen work personally is where, you know, coming out to the races and hanging out with Ron Caps. that's how Napa might reward top-performing salespeople or bringing them out for some sort of unique experience or doing the VIP, come out and be a crew member on Ron Caps' team if you enter at a Napa location or whatever. Those Exploring those business-to-business things, that has to be kind of the next venture for for um, for NHRA pro teams, and I would argue perhaps for the NHRA themselves, right? I mean, because they do a lot to add to the experience for their fans, but I've often wondered if there shouldn't be an effort made at every national event to turn them all into corporate events where, like, hey, part of your sponsorship, Menards, part of your sponsorship whatever company is, we'll set up a tent for you, we'll throw a big party, come out, drink wine, have fun, or whatever. More so than just saying, hey, you gave us $100,000, so here's 500 tickets, or whatever. Like, like, actually turn it into a corporate experience.
1: Yeah. They, they do a the, uh, nice job of that at the, the, the um, event in Denver, the Mopar Mile High uh, race. They uh, That's like... Mopar heaven for those guys that come out and do the media or do the race and all these drivers come speak to them at this huge dinner. So that I totally agree with you, Wes. I think that's, it's all, it's, it's always changing, always developing. And it's kind of staying in front of that. You know, you're never going to succeed doing the way doing what you did, you know, 10 years ago, even, or 20 years ago, you know, in this sport, you know, everything's changed so much. So I, I'm, 100% 100% agree with both of you guys that at the model, you have to be – you have to recognize the model and, and how it's changing if you want to if you want to keep up. And at the same token, I totally agree with you, Wes, that you have to cut spending somewhere.
0: <laughs> uh, you have to do it somewhere. In, in some regard, yeah. And we can – I think that that's going to be a really fun topic perhaps for next week that we can dive into – Different ways. I know, Nate, you have a lot of ins over there. Perhaps we can all do a little bit of research over the course of the next few days and talk to some team owners and talk to some crew chiefs about ways that we could curtail some spending in the nitro categories because God knows they, they burn money over there. And I will say that, Josh, that's uh, we'll, we'll kind of cut this deal off with. Brian Lone says it all the time, but it's apparently a very famous quote that he only recently made me aware of. But the most dangerous words in the English language are because that's how we've always done it, and I think that that's something that we're kind of living through right now. Is there are so many different parts of our sport, and that's and I don't say this as a business owner and as someone who's who's you know earned a living now for nearly 15 years in the sport of drag racing, being nimble, being able to change on a dime and pivot I think that's like the popular word in Silicon Valley is you have to be able to make changes fast and especially in this day and age when things happen fast technology is coming people people's opinions change rapidly it's crazy and everything's moving at light speed and a person really has to be willing and able to change rapidly and I think that that's something that the sport of drag racing is fighting against constantly i mean from the top to the very bottom we're fighting against change and it's just it's a fight we're never gonna win so guys thank you so much um for being a part of this first ever episode of the race reporters i think this is a fantastic title do you guys like the title i didn't even labor over it i literally said we're gonna call it the race reporters are you on board
1: oh completely yeah this has been a lot of fun and um, i'm looking forward to doing this uh once a week or so all right. Well, Josh, uh, absolutely.
0: What's give us both uh, for those of you uh, listening out there? We're going to make this episode of the show and this content, of course, available via dragillustrated.com, the iTunes Store, uh, the podcast app, SoundCloud. There's a there's a multitude of different ways to to get in to download this and enjoy what we're be a part of the conversation. And that's what I wanted to kind of leave it with leave everyone with. If you would like to reach out to any of us and let us know your thoughts, opinions, maybe tell us what you think about what we had to say here this afternoon, or... Let us know something that you'd love for us to, to touch on in the future. Feel free to drop us an email. Wes at dragillustrator.com dot com is my email. Nate at Drag dot com is Nate's. No surprise. And you guessed it. Josh at dragillustrator.com dot com will get you in touch with Josh. We would all love to hear from you. If you hate us all, let us know. If you love us all, let us know. If there's one of us you're, you're taking a liking to, please feel free to let that individual know. We appreciate it all. And I guess we will see you on the next episode of The Race Reporters.